Great to see our guests in the house. I'll preach for a little bit here, just a few minutes, and then we will pray at the end. We'll have some baptisms. We're in Mark chapter 3, starting with verse 1. We'll do Mark 3, 1 through 6, and then we'll go to Romans 3, 23 real quickly. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. Everybody say, a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, Jesus, this is good Jesus, angry, our sweet Savior, angry, when He looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And He stretched it out and His hand was restored, the whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Him how they might destroy Him. Notice, this man's reach fell short. He could not reach far enough. He he could not grasp like he had at one time. He couldn't do what he was supposed to do with his hand, what he was assigned to do, what he was called to do. But he wasn't the only one, really, in in a sense. Romans 3.23 puts it like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Say all. All. There's no not one. Not one of us that can reach to do all God's called us to do, can grasp to do all God's called us to do. Not without Jesus. I mean sinner and saint alike. Preacher, Methodist, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal. Not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I want to continue my series. This is the end of it, but this is the second installment of Your Best Life. I want to say a prayer before we see you. Father, thank You for Your goodness, for Your kindness, for Your mercy, for Your visitation today. I pray that You'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, everybody say Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. (coughs) The fellow in our reading had a withered hand. The Greek word translated withered means this man's hand was dried up, drawn up, shriveled up, wasted away. The idea is that his hand, along with his arm, became useless, paralyzed. Think of it when you're sleeping and you sleep wrong and you sleep on your arm in some weird way and your arm goes to sleep. You ever woke up with that terrified feeling, I can't feel my arm? And you know it's there and then you're like trying to drag it around and you think, Randy, if I drag it the wrong way, and then I fall down on it. I'm going to break it in half. You know, I'm going to put it on the wrong, put it down the wrong way, and cry. I don't know if y'all ever had that thought, but okay, thank you. So that it, it, his 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 arm, his hand was withered. It was it was paralyzed, useless. And 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 Luke points out in Luke six six, it was not his left hand, but it was his right hand which means it was the, the, the hand that was dominant more than likely. His, his hand of might and power and ability. The Greeks suggest that he was not born this way, but rather became this way. Something had happened to him that caused him to lose his strength in that hand, in that arm, to lose his grip. Some traditions say 
that this man was a brick mason at one time who had been injured on the job. And now he was no longer able to do what he was trained to do. His goals, his aspirations, his dreams were all tied to his skills, his gifts, his abilities, his strengths. So not only had he lost his natural ability to acquire money, to build, to create, to prosper, but he had lost his ability to accomplish his dreams. Now he would never fulfill them. Now he would never live up to what had been his potential. Now he would never become the man that he thought he would be. Let me say this right here at the onset. There are people under the sound of my voice today. Things have happened to you that have caused you to lose sight of your dreams. At one time you saw how you could accomplish them. There was a way. There was a means. But then it's like you lost your right hand. You suffered a wound. And now you live with limitations. And those limitations seem to mock you every day. They say you'll never fulfill your dreams. You'll never accomplish your goals. You don't have what it takes anymore. It's all over for you. That's what the devil would have us to believe. But I want to remind you once again, the devil is a liar. Those voices are wrong. I refuse to get in agreement with those voices. Joel 3.10 says, Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. I may be damaged goods. I may have fallen short. I may have lost my grip. But he hasn't lost his grip on me. Come on now. His hand is still holding me. John 10, 28. Jesus said, no one shall pluck them out of my hand. And even when I seem powerless and my grip is weak, no one can pluck me from his grip and from his hand. Exodus 15, 6 says, your right hand, O Lord, Glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters my enemies. Even when my hand seems useless, His hand still gives me blessing and favor and victory in Jesus. The book of Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 8 says, The king granted me whatever I asked for. Why was that, Nehemiah? For the good hand of my God was upon me. Your arm may fall short. You may have lost your ability in your right hand, in your right arm, but the Lord's arm is not short that it cannot save. Your arm may be weak, but He still upholds the worlds. He does by the word of His power. Even when I'm weak, I'm strong because I'm in the arms of the Lord. Amen? There is no situation that He cannot heal. There is no situation that He cannot fix. There is no situation that He cannot restore. I already said it today. Cancer is not too strong for Him. Diabetes is not too strong for Him. Bankruptcy is not too big of a thing for Him. Divorce is not too big of a thing for Him. Those old voices that keep telling you, your dreams will never come true now. You'll never be the man God's called you to be. That right hand is withered. You'll never do it. You need to tell yourself, greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. Are you with me? For this reason, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil, even in my own life. 
Somebody needs to get their praise on today because your best life is on the other side of that disappointment that you've experienced. On the other side of that mess and that injury and that wound and that impossibility. Your best life is over there. Uh, I love this, and I'm a pastor, so let me be a pastor for a minute. Even with his limitations, I love the fact about the man with the withered hand. Even with his limitations, he still went to church. He got a gold star on the attendance chart. Did you all ever have those in Sunday school? I lived for gold stars in Sunday school. He got a gold star on his chart. He didn't let what he could not do keep him from going to church. He didn't let what he was suffering with keep him from going to church. He didn't let his shortcomings keep him from gathering together with God's people around the Word of God. I just got back from Bossier City where I helped them celebrate 75 years of a church and 30 years of pastoral ministry under Jerry Dean. I love that church. I love that man. I love those people. He'll be at Dominion. You saw him on the video there a few minutes ago. But many years ago, when I was a kid growing up in that church, there was a man by the name of Brother Rogers. I don't know his first name. There were several Brother Rogers in that church, but all I knew this guy was, was his name was Brother Rogers. And as a kid, I remember staring at him incessantly, rudely. It was terrible. But the reason why was because he had had cancer on his nose. This is way back. I'm much older than I look. I know I look like I'm in my 20s or something, but I'm much older than that. And going way, way back then, they didn't treat stuff the same way. And he had a cancer on his nose that had, had eaten his nose away. It's hard to describe. It was rotten away. It was a fascinating thing as a kid. You know, I'm staring like, what in the world? Just trying to figure it out. And I, I thought about this man, Brother Rogers, today. He, he refused to, to stop going to church even though his nose was literally falling off of his body. And there were little kids staring at him and no doubt many questions that people had for him. He still went to church anyway in spite of that. I thought of some other people. There was a family, a, a couple that would come to church. We thought they were dirt poor. That's another story. They lived in tents by the Red River. The church bought them a trailer. They refused to move into that trailer. They decided it, they didn't like indoor plumbing. You know, whatever. And they lived in the tent. They stayed in the tent. And, and, and when they got older and older, they, uh, he, would, he would pull his wife in a little red wagon to church. And they came faithfully, like all the time. She had wooden teeth. It was, it was wild. I remember talking to her, asking her all kinds of questions. There were all kinds of rumors about this couple. They were bizarre. But I do remember them coming. They smelled bad. They sat on the second, third row. And I remember at times when, when he would get excited. He, would, he couldn't walk very well, even though she was worse. And he, he'd kind of grab the pew and pull up. And he'd go, that's right. That's right. He would amen the preacher. And we used to could mock him as a kid. Years later, when they passed away, they had over a million dollars in cash in their tent, okay? They were just real frugal, you know what I mean? They were very frugal. You never would have guessed. It wasn't like Sam Walton driving around in, in, a, in a Ford pickup. It, it was like they lived in a tent and walked and pulled a wagon, you know? That's who they were. That's how they rolled. But, but they never let their limitations and, and, and maybe the illnesses that they suffered with stop them 
from going to the house of God and gathering around their people, the people of God. This, this man in our story, he could have said, I'm not going to go to church today. I've got this withered hand. You know, it takes me a, a, a minute to get dressed. The kids stare at me. I get a lot of questions. I'm not like everyone else. Maybe he thought, I'm the only one that falls short. But we tend to think that in church, don't we? I'm the only one that has a problem. I'm the only one. I remember this guy back in the day in my home church. He used to dress to the nines. He was opposite of some of these others. He dressed to the nines. He had a lot of money. He was nice looking. He had a beautiful family. He lived in a big house. He drove a fancy car. And anytime you went up to him and you said, how are you doing? He would say, he'd put a big old smile, like a cheesy smile on his face and say, just right. Just right. Like every time. Now maybe he was doing just right every time you asked him. Maybe he wasn't, and that was just a faith statement, Brian. You know, just right. And the inside is going, in Jesus' name. You know, I don't know. Maybe it was a faith statement for him. But the, the tendency that I had was I thought, he's always doing just right, and I'm always doing just wrong. Something's wrong with this picture. I'll never be like him. I have a withered hand. He doesn't have a withered hand. Let me just take all the pretensions away right now. Everybody in this room falls short. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In a, in a sense, everybody has a withered hand. I want to tell you something. Your best life is on the other side of letting those limitations be the final word in your life. Your best life is on the other side of letting those limitations define who you are. Your best life is on the other side of letting your failures hold you back from living for God and giving God the praise that He deserves. Everybody in this house falls short. If you only knew how everybody had fallen short just this week, your spiritual hero, the preacher, the prayer warrior, the saint that you adore, they've all fallen short. Your best life is realizing this. It's on the other side of this. It's not about you and how you fall short. It's about Jesus and how He's excelled and rises above all the rest and His ability to reach you. That's why I praise Him. Not because I've done so good, but because in spite of my badness, He's done good to me. Come on, give Him some praise right now. Can you do it? He's doing just right. He's doing just right. The Doobie Brothers of all people used to sing it. Jesus is just alright with me. Jesus is just alright. Yeah, yeah. I feel that a little bit. One of my other pastors, Rick Marcelli, I just feel his spirit coming on me right now. He loves that song. Church folks are bad about just how you doing. Fantastic. Especially we feet, uh, us faith people. We're like, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Jesus, I'm blessed and highly favored, you know. I know faith statements, and I certainly don't want you to, you know, when I say, how you doing, I don't want you to tell me the truth all the time, you know what I mean, like, well, have a seat, let me tell you how it's really going, I, you know, I'm not saying do that either, there's a balance here, <laughs> the guy in our story, 
He wasn't doing just right. He wasn't all right. But he wasn't waiting until he got everything just right in his life before he went to church. He drug his whole withered hand into the house of God. Some of us need to learn that even though we may have lost the use of our right hand and some of our greatest strength, it's okay. You go to church anyway when your right hand is withered up. You go to church anyway. You bless the Lord at all times and His praise is continually in your mouth. Verse 2 in our reading says this, So they watched Him closely whether He would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse Him. They, they, were, they, they knew He could heal, these religious people. They just didn't know if He would heal on the Sabbath day. And they were hoping that Jesus would heal this man, not for the poor fellow's sake, but so they could accuse Him of breaking what they thought was the law. The religious people had concluded that if you cut yourself on the Sabbath, you can stop the bleeding, but you can't put ointment in the wound. In other words, you can stop it from getting worse, but you can't do anything to make it better, or that would be considered work. They had worked out these rules and regulations. That would wait till the next day. The religious people in the room thought it would be alright if the miracle of this withered hand being healed took place yesterday, and they would be okay with it taking place tomorrow, but the problem was today. If He heals it today on this sacred holy day, then it's a problem. The point is though, they didn't care about this man's problem. It was all about trying to accuse Jesus. They wanted Jesus to heal this guy Not for the guy's sake, but so they could get rid of Jesus. And He would never threaten to ruin their church again. They wanted to have control, complete control of their church services once again. Jesus was threatening and ruining their little church service. I feel a preaching spirit coming on me. Where'd that come from? Wow. This was Simon Peter's home church. This is Capernaum. This was a dream crushing church where they wanted you to come in one way and leave the same way. Where if you lost your dreams, we're certainly not going to entertain the notion that God could or God would, or that God should heal you and give them back to you. I'm just going to tell you something. I don't want to be a part of a church that is a dream-crushing church. I want to be a part of a church that has Jesus front and center who has come to heal the brokenhearted and bring recovery of sight to the blind and set the captive free and deliver the addict and fill people with the Holy Ghost and pour His Spirit out. On offense and cause the young men to have vision and the old men to dream dreams. Let me encourage you today. Open your heart to dream again, to believe again that God is able to do exceeding above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in this house. When Jesus is in the house, anything is possible. Your best life is on the other side of this storm, of this trouble, of losing this right hand and believing once again. 
this poor guy, he had been going to this church for a long time, this dream-crushing congregation. He went there. Probably every time the door was open, he was that guy. Dead, dry church, intellectual speculation, homiletical exposition about things of which they knew nothing. You can, you, you can quote Scripture and have no clue what's being said. Resisting it, not even believing it. But on this one occasion, Jesus showed up at this man's church. I so relate to this. Let me just, I'm, I'm pastor. Let me be a pastor for a minute. I so relate to this. It's vital that we have powerful Jesus gatherings every time the doors are open. You never know who is sitting in the crowd. You never know who has walked through the door and what they're facing in their lives, the challenges that they are facing. And as the days get darker and darker, our gatherings have to become more and more powerful. Now having said that, some church services are more powerful than others. Can I get an amen? Amen. You should be at every church service every time the doors are open because you can't predict. You don't know when the power of God is going to sweep in that house in an unprecedented way to meet the very need that you walked in with. I get so frustrated trying to help people, counseling people, working with people right where they are, dealing with the situations they're dealing with, walking through them with it, praying with them, and then they miss a moment in a service where I'm convinced if they had been there, God had just provided exactly what they needed, but they missed their moment. They missed their opportunity. You know, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, not Transfiguration, but the Mount of Ascension. This is Ascension Parish, right? When He ascended, there are some artist renderings of Him. He looks like a woman, first of all, with a beard. Okay? Very effeminate. And, And His toes are always pointed downwards at the ascension. And they're real white. He's real white and pasty. You know, even though he lived in the Middle East and the sun always was beaten down as real white. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I always criticize this, but those those Baroque painters and whatever, these pointy toes down and he's just like looks all spaced out. You know what I mean? He's pasty and, and he's ascending. Literally, Jesus flew. Now let's just get, let's get down on it right now. Jesus flew, right? Like Superman. Or, or like your superhero. Or like Neo. I mean, He flew. He, he, he probably took off, I think. You know, for dramatic effect. He just kind of said, Alright boys, I'm out of here. And the ground shook around Him, you know. And then, He just took off like a rocket. That's the way I see it. That's just awesome. He just took off like a rocket. He didn't float with his toes pointed down, looking all spacey, like doing ballet on the way up. He's like, I'm out of here. I mean, what? why hesitate, right? He already waited all this time, gave him all the last instructions, and then he just flew. I mean, he just, he just flew, Austin, just like, he's gone. Boom! I mean, if he's coming back in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, why didn't he leave that way, you know? and Because they were standing there gazing like, Wow! Yes. They're just in shock. He flew away. 
He flew one. But right before he did that, he said, listen, you go back and tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. Like, I'm flying out of here, but I'm sending back. I'm coming in the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Spirit to fill you, to overflow in you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so, he says, you go wait in Jerusalem. You go tarry in Jerusalem. And then he flew. 500 witnesses, Paul tells us this in his letter to the church at Corinth. And they go back to Jerusalem. And they waited. And it took 10 days for the day of Pentecost to be fully come. And the Spirit was poured out. And when the 10 days ended, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there was only 120 of them left. You got 380 that peeled off. Why? Well, day number two. Huh. This is boring. Peter's a sorry preacher. I am tired of sitting here. Day number three. It's even more boring. I've got things to do, places to go, people to see. I've got responsibilities. I can't waste my life sitting around here. Jesus had flown away. They got inspired on day number four. You remember when he flew? Oh, that was amazing, man. I've never seen that. Have you? Of course not. People don't fly. Jesus flew. Oh, that was incredible. He went, you know, like this. Flew out like a rocket. Well, they didn't know what a rocket was. But you know, he flew out. It was incredible. That was amazing. I've never seen anything like that. You know, just he flew. So they got inspired day four. Day five, I'm bored. Day six, I'm distracted. Day seven, this is a waste of time. Day eight, nothing's happening. What are we doing here? I'll tell you what they were doing there. The Lord said, you go. And don't stop. You go until you go until you go until. Don't quit. You go until. And on day 10, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared in the cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set on each one of them. There wasn't just 120 cloven tongues as a fire waiting. There was 500 plus waiting, but 380 missed their moment because they got bored. I want to tell you something. When you start going to church, don't stop going to church. Don't pick and choose the good services, the bad services. You never know when there's going to be a suddenly here at Lifebuoy and the Spirit of God is going to sweep in with a healing anointing or a provision that you need it desperately. Never stop. This withered, this man with a withered hand never stopped going to church. Be faithful. Show up in the good and the bad. When church is rocking, when it's boring, when it's not rocking, you just show up anyway because one day, trust me, Jesus challenged this guy to stretch himself. He looked at this man and he said, stretch forth your hand. Reach out with that weakest part of you. Give it to me. Stretch it out to me. That weakness. That which has come to define you. You're known as the man with the withered hand. Stretch it out. That hand that's become your trademark. I thought about this with worship. When it comes to demonstrative worship, it's so easy to hide behind a cloak. 
of I'm not emotional, I'm not expressive, I'm an introvert. I can never shout out loud in church, sing out loud in church, clap my hands, dance in church. Are you kidding me? Did you ever think that maybe it's those very weaknesses that God is asking from you, asking for you to stretch towards Him? I'm an introvert. Won't you stretch a little bit further out? I don't sing loud. Well, why don't you sing a little louder than you're singing now? I don't clap. Why don't you give it a golf clap, perhaps, to start with? I don't dance. Why don't you just tap your toe for a little bit? What I learned is, if I can get you to stretch just a little bit, the Spirit of God will start moving on you a a whole lot, and, and you'll start stretching even more. Ron Storr back here, he's not on stage singing, but you may hear him back there because he learned. I'm going to lift my voice and sing. I'm going to shout. we got people that dance and don't know how to dance. But they dance anyway because they get inspired. They learn. If I stretch myself in these areas and kind of humiliate myself as David did in the Old Testament, the presence of God will sweep down on me and I'll receive from Him in ways I could have never received before. We like comfortable church. We like safe church. We like riskless church. We don't like to go out on a limb. But let me tell you, forget about all your excuses. Stretch yourself and get a hold of the power of God. I dare you to worship. I dare you to raise your hands. Stretch forth your hands. I dare you to sing. I dare you to shout. I dare you to dance. I dare you to bow. I dare you to, to, to lift your voice. God knows how to Touch us, but He's asking us, stretch forth. And I love the fact that Jesus didn't say, don't do anything. He said, stretch forth your hand. I love the fact that He didn't say, stretch forth your good hand. He meant your withered hand. He didn't say, keep that one hidden. Give me that good hand. He said, stretch forth your hand. Give me your bad one. He didn't say, stretch forth your leg. Oh, I, I, I got strong legs, Lord. No, He said, give me your hand. Jesus challenged him to acknowledge and reveal that weakness. And when He did it, <coughs> He's known as the man with the withered hand. We don't even know His name like blind Bartimaeus. We don't even know His real name. Bartimaeus is not that guy's real name. He has nothing to lean on, this guy with the withered hand. No props, no track record. No future, no potential. Jesus asked them in Luke regarding this man. I love this. Is it better to do evil or good? In other words, me touching him at the point of his weakness and restoring him and renewing him is nothing but good. Me ignoring Him and not challenging Him and letting Him keep that as a secret, that is evil. What's better for me to do evil or good? Acts 10.38, Jesus said, I'm anointed. It says that He went about doing good 
and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus was anointed and healing was a good thing. Deliverance was a good thing. Religious people struggle with what's good and what's bad. Jesus doesn't. The Bible says that He is good and His mercy is everlasting. He knows how to get the good to you. You stand with me right now. Your best life, you think, man, it's all over. I took this blow. I took this hit. I lost so much. I don't see how the rest of my life could be the best of my life. I want to tell you something. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. The best life for you is on the other side of bringing your weakness to God and stretching it out. And say, here it is, Lord. Here's my wounds. Here's my brokenness. Here's my failure. Here's my shortcoming. Here's my injury. Here's my attitude. Here's my addiction. Here's my divorce. Here's my bankruptcy. Here's my need. Here's my sin. Here's my shortcoming. You need to understand you're not the only one in the room that has shortcomings. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody in this room has had to stretch a withered hand out to the Lord. But God knows what to do with it. And God knows what to do with your stuff. I told somebody just this past week, and, and as I was praying and ministering to this individual, I did not mean to say what I did, but it was the Holy Spirit flowing through me, giving me some words to say. I had never said this to anybody in all of my life, but I felt such condemnation and I felt such weight that the voices inside this individual's head was saying, you'll never amount to anything. You'll never get through this. You're, you're special. You're special. You're different. God doesn't love you. And I said to this person, I said, I wish you knew how much God loves me. And when I said it, I was shocked. I thought, that's not what I meant to say, Karen. That's not what I meant to say. I said, I wish you knew how much God loves me. And I thought, I was supposed to say you. But I said me. And then I, I got in this flow. I knew this is a flow of God. And I said, because He loves me in spite of myself. I, I, I planted a church, your life point, and others in spite of myself. God used me and helped me, and I'm praying with you in spite of myself. I wish you knew how much God loves me because I am not the exception and neither are you. God loves you just as much as He loves me. And if He's used me, He'll use you. God wants to reignite somebody's dreams and let you know in spite of the failure and the falling, God can give you a best start and the best life. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Amen coming to the close of this service, but I want to tell you this could be the beginning for you. This could be a brand new beginning for you. Would you close your eyes with me? Bow your heads. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your mercy. You've been better to me than I deserve. God, you've given me so much in spite of me, and I am not an exception, and nobody else is an exception. You're no respecter of persons. If you did it for me, you'll do it for somebody else. Pray that you would challenge somebody today. Let them know 
there is hope. There is a fresh start. There is a light on the other side of the darkness. There is a healing on the other side of this sickness. There is provision on the other side of this lack. There is a dream where there's just been a blank spot, Father. Dreamless life living is over. This is not a dream-crushing church. You're not a dream-crushing Savior. You've come to bring life and life abundantly. In Jesus' name.